it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy 620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Today we got a lot to talk about. I want to start with something that uh, doesn't necessarily pertain to abortion, but it pertains to the life ethic and the value of life and what we're seeing in the in Canada when it comes to euthanasia. And, uh, you know, we talked on this show before that, uh, that if you devalue life at the beginning stage via abortion and you devalue life at its end stage via doctor assisted suicide and euthanasia for terminal illness, then ultimately you devalued life everywhere in between. Now the culture would say, oh no, you know, people need to die with dignity and if they want to die, they should die and doctor assisted suicide. But even now the culture is starting to say, oh, what, what's, can- what Canada's doing is extreme. And so I want to talk about what Canada is doing. Then we're going to look at a couple other things pertaining to abortion, pertaining to gender, pertaining to identity. Lord, I mean, our, our culture is going through uh, some some nonsense and, and, and some things that are uh, that are just concerning is a, is an understatement. And and we need to address them. We need to address them boldly. We need to to address them and call them out when we see them. They're not just anti-gospel. Uh, they're anti-human. And a culture that, that is anti-human, a culture that is anti-procreation, is a culture that dies. It's certainly not a culture that sustains. But let's start with the AP and what they say about Canada. Uh, Alan Nichols had a history of depression and other medical issues, but none were life-threatening. When the 61-year-old Canadian was hospitalized in June 2019 over fears he might be suicidal, he asked his brother to, quote, bust him out as soon as possible. Within a month, a month, Nichols submitted to a request to be euthanized, and he was killed, despite concerns raised by his family and a nurse practitioner. His application for euthanasia listed only one health condition as the reason for his request to die. What was that health condition? Hearing loss. Did you, did you grab that? So in Canada, a man had one health condition, hearing loss, and, and was euthanized. Nichols' family reported the case to police and health authorities, arguing that he lacked the capacity to understand the process and was not suffering unbearably among the requirements for euthanasia. They say he was not taking needed medication, wasn't using his cochlear implant and that helped him hear, and the hospital staffers improperly helped him request euthanasia. Allen was basically put to death, his brother Gary Nichols said. Disability experts say the story is not unique in Canada, which arguably has the world's most permissive euthanasia rules, allowing people with serious disabilities to choose to be killed in the absence of any other medical issue. Many Canadians support euthanasia, and the advocacy group Dying with Dignity says the procedure is, quote, driven by compassion and into suffering and discrimination and desire for personal autonomy, end quote. But human rights advocates say the country's regulations lack necessary safeguards, devalue the lives of disabled people, and are pro- pro- prompting doctors and health workers to suggest the procedure to those who might not otherwise consider it. If you remember Dr. Kevorkian back in the day, what was killing people? Now he said, "I'm just assisting them. I'm just 
granting their wishes to die. And now in Canada, that's a, a normal practice. Medical professionals coercing and, and allowing people to be killed in the hospital as if they're a dog. Equally troubling, advocates say, are instances in which people have sought to be killed because they weren't getting adequate government support to live. Canada is set to expand euthanasia access next year, but these advocates say the system warrants further scrutiny. Now, euthanasia, quote, cannot be a default for Canada's failure to fulfill its human rights obligations, end quote, said Marie-Claude Landry, the head of its Human Rights Commission. Landry says she shares the grave concern voiced last year by three U.N. human rights experts who wrote that Canada's euthanasia law appeared to violate the agency's universal declaration of human rights. They said the law had a discriminatory impact on disabled people and was inconsistent with Canada's obligations to uphold international human rights standards. Tim Stanton director of the Canadian Institute for Inclusion and Citizenship at the University of British Columbia, described Canada's law as, quote, probably the biggest existential threat to disabled people since the Nazis program in Germany in the 1930s. Did you hear that? that that's, listen to what this person said. It is probably the biggest existential threat to disabled people since the Nazi program in Germany in the 1930s. During his recent trip to Canada, Pope Francis blasted what he, was lab- what he labeled the culture of waste that considers elderly and disabled people disposable. He said this, we need to learn how to listen to the pain of the poor and most marginalized, Francis said, lamenting the patients who, in place of affection, are administered death. Canada prides itself on being liberal and accepting, said David Jones, director of the Bioethics Center in Britain, But what's happening with euthanasia suggests there may be a darker side. Euthanasia, where doctors use drugs to kill patients, is legal in seven countries. Belgium, Canada, Colombia, Luxembourg, Netherlands, New Zealand, and Spain, plus several states in Australia. Other jurisdictions, including several U.S. states, permit assisted suicide in which patients take the lethal drug themselves, typically in a drink prescribed by a doctor. In Canada, the two options are referred to as medical assistance in dying, though more than 99.9% of such deaths are euthanasia. There were more than 10,000 deaths by euthanasia last year, an increase of about a third from the previous year. Canada's road to allowing euthanasia beginning in 2015 when its highest court declared that outlawing assisted suicide deprived people of their dignity and autonomy. It gave national leaders a year to draft legislation. The resulting law in 2016 legalized both euthanasia and assisted suicide for people aged 18 and over, provided they met certain conditions. They had to have a serious condition, disease or disability, that was in an advanced, irreversible state of decline and enduring unbearable physical or mental suffering that cannot be relieved under conditions that patients consider acceptable. Their death also has to be or had to be reasonably foreseeable, and the request for euthanasia had to be approved by at least two physicians. The law was later amended to allow people who are not terminally ill to choose death, significantly broadening the number of eligible people. Critics say that change removed a key safeguard aimed at protecting people with potentially years or decades left to live. Today, any adult with a serious illness, disease, or disability can seek help in dying. Canadian Health Minister uh, said the country's euthanasia law, quote, recognizes the rights of all persons as well as the inherent and equal value of every life. End quote. 
Are you kidding me? Is that the culture you want to live in? Where we're, we're, we're killing disabled or people that are facing depression or fighting a terminal illness or, or fighting just an illness. The countries that allow euthanasia and assisted suicide vary in how they administer and regulate the practices. But Canada has several policies that set it apart from others. Unlike Belgium and the Netherlands, where euthanasia has been legal for two decades, Canada doesn't have monthly commissions to review potentially troubling cases, although it does publish yearly reports of euthanasia trends. Canada is the only country that allows nurse practitioners, not just doctors, to end patients' lives. Medical authorities in two largest in, in its two largest provinces, Ontario and Quebec, explicitly instruct doctors not to indicate on death certificates if people died from euthanasia. So they're not even keeping up with it. Belgian doctors are advised to avoid mentioning euthanasia to patients since it could be misinterpreted as medical advice. The Australian state of Victoria forbids doctors from raising euthanasia with patients. There are no such restrictions in Canada. The Association of Canadian Health Professionals who provide euthanasia tells physicians and nurses to inform patients that they might qualify to be killed as one of their possible clinical care options. You know, just a few years ago, we had a, a young lady that was in a relationship with, a, with a, a young man, and he was depressed, and he had talked about suicide. And one night, she called him, or he called her, and he said, I'm having that feeling again. And you know what she did? She talked him through it. And encouraged him, and he said, maybe I don't want to do it. Maybe maybe my mom would be upset. Maybe I don't want to kill myself. And she encouraged him via FaceTime to take his life. And she was thrown in prison, rightfully so. And in Canada, they're not only not prosecuting a person like that, they are encouraging and, and, and walking patients through, hey, you have this option. You could just end your life and end it all now. And so if someone is not in a stable position in their mind and they're hearing from who they are supposed to trust as an expert that, hey, you could just end it here, what do you think that's going to do? Canadian patients are not required to have exhausted all treatment alternatives before seeking euthanasia, as is the case in Belgium and the Netherlands. Still, Canada says there were adequate safeguards in place, including stringent eligibility criteria to ensure that no disabled people were being encouraged or coerced into ending their lives. Government figures show more than 65% of people are being euthanized due to cancer, followed by heart problems, respiratory issues, and neurological conditions. Let's see, Teresa DeGener, a professor of law and disability studies at the Protestant University for Applied Sciences in northwestern Germany, said allowing euthanasia based exclusively on disability was a clear human rights violation. They said this, quote, The implication of Canada's law is that a life with a disability is automatically less worth living, and then in some cases, death is preferable. See, this is what we do with Down syndrome as well. We do this across the board. Oh, you, you got a diagnosis that the baby in your womb may have Down syndrome, you should abort it. That's what we're told. Oh, your baby may have a deformity, you, you should abort it. That's what we're told. So don't be surprised when we're told that at the earliest stage that we're also telling people that in the hospital own into their life. Ah, you don't want to live. You know, you're just a drag on society anyway. That, that is what they're being told by quote-unquote experts. People that want to want to throw shade at me for being pro-life. 
and, and Trudeau of, of Canada would say, oh, those awful pro-lifers and awful America that would overturn Roe, while his own government and hospitals are killing people because they may have a certain illness. Literally killing them. And he wants to talk about human rights and women's rights and the rights of the disabled. Yeah, take a seat. Alan Nichols lost his hearing after brain surgery at age 12, suffered a stroke in recent years, but he lived mostly on his own. He needed some help from us, but he was not so disabled that he qualified for euthanasia, said Gary Nichols. In one of the assessments filed by a nurse practitioner before Nichols was killed, she noted his history of seizures, for, for uh, frailty and a failure to thrive. She also wrote that Nichols had hearing and vision loss. The Nichols family were horrified that his death appeared to be approved based partly on Allen's hearing loss and had other concerns about how Allen was euthanized. They lodged complaints with the British Columbia Agency that regulates doctors and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police asking for criminal charges. They also wrote to Canada's Minister of Justice, said this, somebody needs to take responsibility so that it never happens to another family. I'm terrified of my husband or another relative being put in the hospital and somehow getting these euthanasia forms in their hand. The hospital said Alan Nichols made a valid request for euthanasia and that in line with patient privacy, it was not obligated to inform relatives or include them in treatment discussions. I mean, this is so sad. Some disabled Canadians have decided to be killed in the face of mounting bills. Before being euthanized in August 2019 at the age of 41, Sean Taggart struggled to get the 24-hour care he needed. The government provided Taggart, who had Lou Gehrig's disease, with 16 hours of daily care in the home. He spent about 264 Canadian dollars a day to pay coverage during the other eight hours. Health authorities proposed that Taggart move to an institution, but he refused, saying he would be too far from his young son. He called the suggestion a death sentence in an interview with Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Before his death, Taggart had raised more than 16,000 Canadian dollars to buy specialized medical equipment he needed to live at home with caretakers, but it still wasn't enough. And they killed him. And these stories go on and on and on. Lord help us. We'll be back. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass. So as we continue the conversation, look, today we're covering a, a, a number of different topics. We, we started the, the show with euthanasia and what that is doing in Canada. And, and, and it's interesting. There's other countries around the world that, uh, that allow for euthanasia. But even those countries are saying, yeah, Canada is extreme. And, and so what we all need to say is, None of that's okay. Euthanasia isn't okay, but, but it is extreme, and, and it shouldn't be allowed, but, but here we are. One thing that I'll, I'll say to end on what's happening in, in Canada, next year the country is set to allow people to be killed exclusively for mental health reasons. It is also considering extending euthanasia to mature minors, children must, or children under 18 who meet the same requirements as adults. So they don't just want to kill adults. They now want to kill children. But again, don't be surprised. This, this may anger you and may frustrate you and, and may create some uh, concern, but it shouldn't surprise you. When you devalue life at the beginning stage via abortion, 
This is what you get. A culture that devalues life across the board. I, I now want to look at, but I, we're going to end the show with, with some news concerning abortion. But now what I want to do is we talk about the value of life. That's what this show's about. It's called a conversation on life. That is what we do. We talk about the value of life. And, and one issue that continues to be a concern of mine and others in our culture is one that concerns gender. We live in a time now where, where our culture refuses to admit the obvious. A, a culture that says it's pro-science refuses to look at the science and say that a man is a man or a woman is a woman. A culture that says adults should be able to do certain things and kids shouldn't be able to do certain things are now telling us that kids have the capacity, even as early as one and two-year-old, to tell you, ah, I'm actually a boy or I'm actually a girl. A culture that says that we have laws on the books that say if you're 18, you're allowed to do certain things. If you're 21, you're allowed to do certain things. If you're 15, you're not allowed to do certain things is the same culture that now is telling these 15 year olds and 14 year olds and 12 year olds and 10 year olds that if you want to block your puberty you should be able to that if you want to have a hysterectomy at an early age you should be able to because you believe that you are a man if you want to go to a drag queen story hour and dress up in drag you should be able to and celebrate it anyone that would say otherwise is simply a bigot now, you may be saying, well, why are you talking about this on, on this show? Because, folks, we have to talk about it. That's why. And if we're going to be gospel people, and if we're going to believe that God created image bearers all around us, and if we're going to call for the rule of law to uphold, then we can't turn our backs when our society starts saying this nonsense. But it's going to catch up to them, and it already is. There's an article over at Sky News. A gender clinic could face legal action over alleged failings in care. Listen to this. The NHS trust responsible for the UK's only gender identity clinic for children may face legal action over claims that, quote, rushed some young patients into treatment, including the use of puberty-blocking drugs. Now, what you'll hear from folks... And Boston's Children's Hospital is doing this. And again, if I had four hours, I would go into all this today, but I'm not going to have time to do that. But what I've found over the last few weeks is we've seen videos from Boston Children's Hospital walking kids and parents through the transitioning process, saying things like, there's no harm. If you want to just simply put a pause on your puberty, you, you have time to do that. They don't know what harm there is. There is harm with that. But they're claiming otherwise. They're, they're telling families, look, look for the signs. If, you're, if your little boy doesn't want to cut his hair when he's one and two years old, he might actually be a woman. If your little boy wants to put on a dress, he, he might want to be a woman. If your little girl wants to cut her hair short and play with dinosaurs and trucks, she might be a man and you need to support her in that. That's what they're telling us, and they're claiming to be experts. 
And they're telling parents to just fall in line and, and go along to get along. They're taking kids away from parents that would say otherwise. You see, this is about a value of life issue. This is about the culture saying something that's not only anti-gospel, but anti-science. And, and, and the crazy thing to me is they would say that, that gender is a social construct, that we have created these stereotypes to say that men and little boys want to play with trucks and dinosaurs and, and, and want to go get dirty, and little girls want to play with mermaids and Barbies and, and dress up. They would say it's a social construct that the patriarchy in our country has created this atmosphere and environment for these kids. Yet, the argument and the signs that you are to look for as a parent is if your little boy wants to wear long hair and put a dress on. Now, isn't that a social construct? Why would we, why would we answer or listen to a stereotype? But that's where we are as a society. And anyone that bucks the system... It's called a bigot. And remember this, folks. You can never be left enough. There's been some conservatives that have said, hey, drag queen story hour is okay. It's okay if drag queens come to your public library or come to your school and perform. That's a freedom of speech issue. Half-naked men dressing up as women, that's a freedom of speech issue. I would say otherwise. I would say that's not okay, and we shouldn't celebrate that as a society. But there have been some that say, hey, let that go. Well, you let that go, and look where we are today. You want to talk about a slippery slope? Not too long ago did we redefine what marriage was. And those that, that said, hey, marriage is between one man and one woman, we don't need to redefine that. And if you redefine marriage... It is going to begin the snowball effect, and that slippery slope is going to get us to where we are today. There was many of us that said that, and we were called radical bigots. And today, look where we are. We're, we refuse to say what a man is and what a woman is. We refuse to say, in testimony in Congress, a sitting Supreme Court justice refused to define a woman. And now we see the ramifications of that playing out as families are sick of it. NHS England has already ordered the uh, Tavistock and Portman, Portman NHS Foundation Trust to wind down operations, uh, also known as at the Gender Identity Development Service, after an independent review found it was not a, quote, safe or viable long-term option. But now a UK-based law firm is pursuing a group claim for clinical negligence against the trust admits allegations the service misdiagnosed some young patients who were struggling with their gender identity. Think about that. Boys and girls that are struggling and that are going through uh, hormones and, and, and puberty and transformations, and, and we have a medical community saying, oh, no, you're not a woman, you're a boy, you're a bo man. Oh, you're not a boy, you're a girl. Take this puberty blocker, have a hysterectomy that's going to alter their life forever. And now it appears that many of those were misdiagnosed. He alleges that children and young adolescents were rushed to treatment without the appropriate therapy and involvement of the right 
clinicians, meaning that they were misdiagnosed. Since opening in 1989, the center has worked with around 9,000 children 17 and under. Some of those presenting with gender dysphoria were where a person experiences distress due to a mismatch between their biological sex and their gender identity were treated with hormone therapy, also known as puberty blockers, that can help delay physical changes to a child's body. This was all being done. They were making a lot of money off of it. And now families are suing, rightfully so. And I hope they take everything. We'll be back. So as we continue today, look, I, I know some of these topics today are heavy. And, and some of us are like, look, I don't even want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about the gender stuff. I'm going to talk about what's happening in, in some of these uh, clinics. We have to talk about it. We have to. We have to talk about euthanasia. We, we have to talk about what they're doing to our kids, what they're wanting to do to our kids, kids that, that might just be confused kids that are struggling, that might be facing some things uh, hormonally that are, that are getting them out of whack. And instead of saying, take a puberty blocker, and you're going to have folks that, that get in front of the cameras in mainstream and say, there's no side effects. This just simply puts a pause on what's happening. That's not true. In this case that's going to happen at this clinic with over a thousand families suing, you're going to see. And now what we're starting to see is we're starting to see folks, kids, they were encouraged to do these things that are now in, in great re- remorse for the, what, they were de- what they decided to do. But it, but it really isn't about what they decided to do. It was a, about what the medical establishment and what the adults around them allowed to happen. Look, I've been tasked with being the protector of my children. So, so when someone says, you just need to be extra supportive here and you need to rally around them and and, and if, if your little boy comes up and says, I think I'm a girl, you just need to fa- fall in line, support it. Or if your little girl comes up to you and says, I think I'm a boy, you just are supposed to fall in line and, and accept it and embrace it and, and do everything that, you've been, uh, that, that you need to do to support this. No. No, it doesn't mean you're, you're, you, you be hateful. It, it means that you have conversations and you love them. And by loving them, you speak truth. And as a society, we've been told not to. So I'm bringing it up today because it's, it's a value of life issue. And when we talk about the value of life, whether it be an abortion or euthanasia or gender identity, it is about the value of life. And it's going to require us to say some hard things, to take some hard stances, that the culture is not going to appreciate, that the culture is not going to accept. But truth is truth and right is right. As Clarence Thomas says, north is north, no matter the situation. Doing the right thing is, in fact, the right thing. Now that brings me to a piece over at the Atlantic. Listen to the title of this piece, The Right's New Boogeyman. A mysterious pro-choice group called Jane's Revenge has drawn attention to itself in recent months with a short series of strongly worded uh, statements promising violence. The first of these statements was posted to a radical leftist blogging platform in early May. 
shortly after a draft of the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade was leaked to the press. James Revenge said this, We are in your city. We are in every city. Medical imperialism will not face a passive enemy. Right-wing media outlets have provided ample coverage of this new threat, and anti-abortion politicians have demanded government action to address it. But the group's practical significance remains in question. Just how meaningful is Jane's revenge? It has now taken credit for incidents of vandalism and property, property destruction in 16 cities throughout the U.S., among them the firebombing bombings of pro-life medical office in Buffalo, New York, and the offices of a Christian fundamentalist lobbying group in Madison, Wisconsin. Two of its statements have emphasized, we are not one group, but many. But at this point, nothing indicates that the authors of the anonymous blog post have any real connection to the actions they cite. Emerson Brooking, a senior fellow of Atlantic Council Digital Forensic Research Lab, told me that for what it's worth, the group's high-handed and ambitious language reminds him of early declarations made back in by the diffuse hacker collective Anonymous. Whoever is behind Jane's revenge, the group has become a prominent boogeyman on social media. Now, now think about the, the perspective of the author of this article. Over 60 pregnancy centers and pro-life groups have been attacked since May. And, and, and not just attacked with words, not just saying, hey, they're, they're fake clinics, they're manipulating people, but I mean like physically attacked. Windows busted, firebombs, graffiti, vandalism, had to close doors. But whose fault is it? Well, this author is saying, well, the, the, the pro-lifers are just, it's their new boogeyman. You know, I don't even know why they're talking about it. Jane's Revenge, what are they anyway? What are they anyway? So now we live in a society and a culture where, where a, a, a quote-unquote journalist is, is, is framing terrorist attacks, domestic terrorist attacks, on pro-life organizations as the fault of the pro-lifers themselves. That, that why are you even speaking about it? Why are you recognizing it? It's just your new boogeyman. And then you wonder why we get, get so upset. News articles about the threat of Jane's revenge has also clustered at conservative sources. Gallagher, Gallagher noted that many of these cite a list of more than 100 attacks on churches, pro-life organizations, property, and people since the Dobbs leak created by the Family Research Council and the Evangelical Think Tank. That includes specific in incidents of arson for which James Revenge has claimed credit in his blog post, but also many other property crimes such as smashed windows and pro-abortion rights graffiti. Run one report on the list describes a fire at a Catholic bookstore that has not been ruled in arson, much less politically charged attack. Eleven other instances of reported vandalism or suspected arson on the list have no obvious ties to Jane's revenge or the Dobbs decision. Three involve broken statues at Catholic churches, for example, and nothing more, as if that's not a big deal. I mean, come on, folks. A pastor in Arizona simply guessed that pro-abortionists and the wrath of Jane's revenge-type vandalism must have been responsible for another one, a rock thrown through his church's front window. Pro-abortion rights activists have engaged in vandalism in recent weeks, and the blog posts associated with Jane's Revenge are actively encouraging the behavior, but that does not imply the existence of a complex, coordinated campaign of violence. So let me get this straight. Conservatives say one thing, and, and it is all their fault. The blood is on their hands. How dare you say that? But pro-abortion extremists 
pro-abortion extremists say attack pregnancy centers, attack pro-life organizations, and then people actually do the thing that was said. And we're just supposed to turn and go, well, but no, we're making them the new boogeyman. You remember a few years ago, there was a shooting at the congressional softball game practice when all the Republicans were on the field and Rand Paul had a duck behind cover and uh, Scalise was actually shot. Multiple people were shot. And some amazing Secret Service agents took out the bad guy and, and they were shot in the process. And, and this bad guy actually said, the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I hate Republicans. And he lifted up folks on the left and their words and their, their actions as a impetus to why he did what he did. But no one was held accountable. The media didn't say that, that anyone on the left instigated that. They just said this was a crazy person that had a vendetta against those that were on the field. You remember just a few weeks ago, a, a guy was picked up right outside of Justice Kavanaugh's house. And he said, I, I, I'm, I'm going to take out Justice Kavanaugh. I actually have plans to take out more justices because of the opportunity that, that they may overturn Roe. And I don't want that to happen. So I'm going to assassinate a sitting Supreme Court justice. And if I have to, I'll kill his family. You see, this isn't just a boogeyman. These things are happening. But their disdain for pro-lifers is, is so strong, they can't even bring themselves to call out a Jane's Revenge or to call out a, a terrorist that would seek to assassinate a sitting Supreme Court justice. They can't bring themselves to because they hate what we stand for. You know, back when all that was happening, I said on this show and other places that we need to up security for all Supreme Court justices, not just the conservative ones, but even the left-leaning ones, because they need protection. But yet here we are, seeing pieces at the Atlantic, riding from their high horse. Oh, the right's new boogeyman. What are all these pro-lifers upset about? Folks, our culture is on the brink. We're already divided on so many issues, and then there's so many folks that they make it their, their job. And this is conservatives and left-leaning folks that make it their job to continue to create that divide. And so what does it do? It brings about anger. It brings about frustration. It, it brings about a sense of, I can't, you know, you see those stickers that coexist. You know, it says coexist and it has all these, uh, the yin-yang and, and all these things on it. The reality is they don't want to coexist. And the reality is for even some conservatives, they don't want to coexist. And so if we both live in the reality of I do not want to live with folks 
that disagree or think differently than I do, then we're, we're on the brink of something terrible happening. And as gospel people, what coexist means is we live and love our neighbor, but it also means we speak truth. And sometimes that truth is going to be hard to discuss. But when I see pieces like this in the Atlantic, that instead of blaming a, a domestic terrorist organization like Jane's Revenge, they're, they're blaming the pro-lifers for even bringing attention to it. We have a problem, folks. And again, Lord, help us. We'll be back. You are a child So as we finish up today, look, I know today's topics were not uh, <laughs> uplifting, to say the least. But, but here, let, let's end with, with some uplifting stuff. Look, as, as frustrated and, and angry as I get with some of the topics we cover today and, and the lack of care uh, when it comes to uh, the most vulnerable unborn and the lack of care when it comes to very vulnerable folks, um, like, like they were talking about in Canada and other places that are dealing with uh, euthanasia and doctor-assisted suicide and uh, the lack of care when it comes to our young people and, and gender identities and, and issues that we're facing as a culture and the, the lack of care when it comes to journalists and those that would, uh, they so disdain the, the pro-life movement that they can't even bring themselves to call out evil when it's a domestic terrorist organization that is Jane's Revenge. Obviously, that brings some frustration in anger. But here's the thing, as gospel people, we don't respond in kind. We we don't respond with hate and anger and malice. We speak the truth, certainly. That's why I covered the topics I did today because we can't let these things just pass by as our culture is falling into the pit. We have to speak out on these issues. But but let me let me tell you this, as gospel people, God is good today, yesterday, and forever. It's the same God. The same God that was performing miracles in the Old Testament. The same God that was performing miracles in the New Testament. The same God that was freeing the people of Israel. The same God that was parting the sea. The same God that was doing the number of miracles and things that we see in the Scriptures is the same God that is answering our prayers today. So we don't just scream on the radio or on a podcast or in our echo chambers. No, we, we speak the truth. We point people to Jesus. We repent. We call others to repentance. We don't water down the gospel. We love our neighbor well. But folks, we have to speak out on this nonsense that is coming down in our culture. And how we do that is going to make a difference. You know, I say on here often that there, there's a segment of folks in, in our culture and society that are so entrenched in their ideas, there's no convincing them otherwise. And you have folks like that on both sides of the issues. But there's a segment of folks somewhere in the middle that are just trying to figure out life. 
And they're hearing these things and they're going, I don't understand what's happening at Boston Children's Hospital. I don't understand what's happening at the gender clinic in the UK. I don't understand the euthanasia laws in Canada. I don't understand the abortion laws that that our culture seems to be propping up and, and celebrating. You see, these are the folks that we can have dialogue with. Because the bulk of the populace, they don't want to see pregnancy centers attacked, innocent people attacked. The bulk of the populace don't want to see Supreme Court justices attacked, regardless of what side of the aisle they find themselves on. The bulk of the populace don't want to see our young people uh, sold a bill of goods that, that ruins their life forever. And, and so what are we doing? How are we standing up for our neighbors? How are we loving and engaging our neighbors? You know, some people would say, well, just stop watching all of it, disengage from the culture completely. Look, I get it. If I can have an honest moment right now, that, that is where I'm at often. Hey, let's just disengage from it all. But that's not really what we've been called to do either. And then there's some of us that are like, you know, I, I, I have a, something to say about this particular issue, but I don't know all of it, and I don't know what I need to say, and so I'm not going to say anything. Maybe that's where you need to be. And if some of you are listening to this, and you're a medical expert, and you need to speak out on certain issues, and you're nervous about doing that, and I get that as well. Look, no one said this was going to be easy. But, but what we have to keep getting back to is right is right, no matter what. So when we talk about the value of life, it certainly means the value of the unborn. But now as culture continues to fall down that slippery slope, our conversation and passion is going to continue to point people to the truth of the Gospels that, that God created every human being in His image. We live in a broken, fallen world. Post-Genesis 3 world points to all the brokenness that we see around us. This is of no surprise to us. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be of no surprise to any of us, and it is no surprise to God. And we know how it ends, and there's victory. And praise God for that. We'll talk to you next time.